Welcome to The Compass, a podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our study through God's Word. Right now, we're in the midst of a study on the book of Ephesians. However, on today's podcast, I have the opportunity of sharing from the book of Acts. Why Acts? Well, it is that time when Paul went to Ephesus. Now, if you're looking for a church home, let me invite you to check out Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And if you want more information about the church, you can contact us at 479-442-4634, or you can email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com. Now, we also have a website and a social media presence, but whatever way, we would love to connect with you. We'd love to see you for worship or one of our study times. Our Sunday school has started back up and we are meeting at 9.30 on Sunday mornings and we have classes for all ages. Whatever you're looking for, we want to be there for you. So as we look at God's Word today, we're talking about Acts chapter 19 and a message called, When the Gospel Comes to Town. Let me invite you to take your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. And immediately, I know, for those of you who have been here over these past several weeks, we've been working our way through Ephesians. So what in the world are we doing in Acts? It's related. Trust me. Many of you know that I'm a bit of a nerd. That's the best description for me. I love comic books. I love science fiction. And I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Now, for me, Star Wars will always be Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. But in recent years, there have been sequels, Episodes 7, 8, and 9. And while I have my own opinions, especially about number 8, the sequels are something that we're used to, where you're used to that concept. Well, several weeks ago, I had the opportunity to talk about God's message to the church at Ephesus from the book of Revelation. So there we kind of had the the sequel to Ephesians. Well, today we're going to talk about the prequel. Now, prequels are something that we're used to as well. Episodes 1, 2, and 3, or a few years back, you may have seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy that came out, and before that was The Hobbit. The Hobbit was a prequel to The Lord of the Rings. Well, today we're looking in Acts chapter 19. So we're seeing as Paul is connecting to the the Ephesian believers for the very first time. We're learning what led, really, to this later message. And so we're going to take some time there, and we're going to look at this big idea of what it means when the gospel comes to town. And so I do ask that you pray for me. At about 6.30, I got a message from Pastor Kirk telling me that he wasn't feeling great, and that's that's all a part of, of what we do and who we are. And so I had actually started preparing this message earlier in the week for next Sunday when I knew Pastor Kirk was going to be gone. So I said, all right, let's go for it. Because this is one I want us to understand. Because there are two big words that we're going to come across later in here. The idea of revival and the idea of riot. And if you look through this passage of Scripture, you're going to see what it means when the gospel comes to town. So if you'll look in chapter 19 of the book of Acts and turn over to Acts, um, the verse 18. I want us to look at 18 
through 20, just to get us thinking, and then we're going to work our way through this entire chapter, so you'll want to keep your Bible open there. But Acts 18, uh, 19, verses 18 through 20, the Bible says this, Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came uh, to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. In those few words there, we see a picture of revival. And we're going to get to that point in, in a few minutes. But that's what I wanted us to see. As God shows us through his word what it means when the gospel comes to town. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for how you love us and how you care for us. I just ask that you be with us as a body of believers today as we look at your word. Give us direction. Help us to understand what you want us to do. Help us to be humble and ready to act upon your word. Father, I ask that you forgive me of, of my failures, that you help us today as we go through this together. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, we're in Acts 19, so be sure that you keep your Bible open there. We're going to work our way through this whole chapter. Now, when the gospel arrives on the scene, it makes an impact. It changes lives, and it brings about transformation rather than simply behavioral modification. Too often, that's what we run across in children's ministry and student ministry. A lot of the curriculum is focused around that idea of let's make our kids good church kids. Let's make sure that they're not cussing and they're not drinking and they're being kind and all of those things rather than allowing the gospel to change them. But when the gospel arrives, when the gospel is here, there is transformation that goes on. The story that we have here is Paul coming into town with a life-changing gospel message. Simply put, the things were going to be different. Recently, I had a conversation with one of my friends at Taekwondo. Um, I've Finally, I'm trying to take charge. I don't know about you, but COVID kind of beat me up. I ate too much, didn't exercise enough, and so now I'm trying to fix those things. I was back in my new Taekwondo class over at Fayetteville Martial Arts, speaking to my friend. He's a retired anthropologist and uh, archaeologist from the University of Arkansas. He's about to turn 70 years old, and he's a fourth-degree black belt, and I work out with him. I love this guy. I mean, he is just... He, he says, well, I just have good genetics. I'm like, yes, you do. So, <laughs> great guy. But he said those in his field are often, not necessarily him, but those in his field are often opposed to missionaries because missionaries come into a culture and seek to change it. But here's the simple truth. The truth is that when the gospel gets a hold of a community or a culture, there will be change. It will affect that community and that culture. It is inevitable. Now, if there is no change in the community, that means that the gospel hasn't really been shared and hasn't permeated that society. The same is true in our lives. If our lives are no different than those around us, then the gospel still has much work to do. Transformation is the goal, and only the gospel can do that. You know, there are many things that I wish were different about our society. 
Um, there are things I don't like seeing. There are things that I hate hearing. I, you know, and if you're on Facebook or Twitter or even Instagram, you see all sorts of things that you like. I, I don't want really have any part of that. I don't want people to have a part of that. But it's our, our society. The gospel is the force that can transform our society. We have to share that. And so in, our, in my emails that you see weekly, even on our, in our Facebook group, you're going to see little things, just reminders for you to be having those gospel conversations with people, talking to people about the gospel and how it can change their lives. And I would just encourage you to be looking for those opportunities because when the gospel comes to town, things are going to be different. And again, that's what we're going to see today. Let's look at the verse 10 verses. Paul arrives with the gospel. Just go ahead and read that. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is, Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. And I just want to stop there. The first thing that I want us to see is that Paul communicates to those that are ready to hear the gospel message. Now, these men had, they had been baptized. They had heard John's message. They had been baptized by John or one of his followers. That's what they were baptized into. And if you'll remember correctly, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So they understood this idea of repenting, but they didn't understand Jesus. So they turned from their sin, but they didn't really turn to Jesus. And that's the difference. We can repent all day. I repent of this thing that I'm doing, but what am I turning to? That's what Paul was sharing with them. Paul shared with these men and women, we're not sure, it says disciples here, that communicated to those that were ready that gospel message. That you didn't need to just turn from your sin, you needed to turn to Jesus Christ. And that's the same with all of us. We may feel bad about those different things that we do, those sins that are in our life. We recognize that sin, but when we repent, do we turn to Jesus Christ? These men were ready for that. These disciples there, and it actually, verse 7, it says there were about 12 men in all. I think it's kind of interesting that as Paul gathers um, disciples here, he ends up with 12 uh, like Jesus did. But he communicated to those that were ready. Now, as we go on in this passage, we see that Paul didn't stop with just those that were ready. See, because there are people in our lives that are ready to hear the gospel. They have had a religious upbringing. They have maybe been in church. I think about our students, our children. They are ready. They're the ones that are ready to hear that message. Um, but then there are a lot of other people in our world, and they fit into different categories. And, and that's kind of what Paul did here. In this next part, in ver beginning of verse 8, he went to the synagogue. And it says there, and he entered the synagogue 
for, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So Paul not only spoke to those that were ready. They had repented. They just didn't understand the rest of the story. They didn't know about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit and what they needed. Paul went to the next step. And he spoke to those in the synagogue, those that were of a religious mindset, those that believed in God, the same God that, they, that Paul believed in. But Paul knew the truth, that the Messiah had come, and unfortunately, the Jewish people had crucified him. But, but God, God provided salvation through that crucifixion and resurrection. So Paul communicated not only to those that were ready, but he communicated to the religious people. And he shared the gospel, he spoke to them. But as often happens, those that weren't ready to hear it, they often respond. In verse 9 it says, But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him. Now, I want to stop right there at that part of the verse because at that point, a voices had come up. Those that were stubborn, those that didn't want to hear the truth, those that would deny the truth. And Paul said, well, it's time for me to move on to those that the Spirit is leading me to. What we need to realize is that one of the great things about Acts 19 and in 20, and then we find in Ephesians, it's the gospel is for everyone. It's for the Jew, the chosen people of God, but it's also for the Greek, for the Gentile. And for us, that's, that's life. That's life-giving because we are the Gentile. We are not, for mo- I would have assumed for most of us, we're not of Jewish descent of any sort. But because Jesus came into the world and this gospel was preached, not only to the Jew, but to the Gentile also, we have hope, we have eternal life. And so Paul communicated not only to the ready, he communicated to the religious, he communicated to the residents of this community. If we go on here, it says, And he took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and and Greeks. Again, the gospel was preached not just to the Jewish people, not just to those that have been waiting for years and years to see their Messiah, but Paul was preaching to everyone, to both the Jews and to the Greeks. The gospel is for everyone. Now, I look across this congregation. I see men and women. I see young and old, but I see a lot of same color of skin. The gospel breaks down every racial barrier that there is. It doesn't matter someone's background. It says for the Jews and for the Greeks. It is for those that are, in, that are black, those that are Asian, those that the list goes on. It is for all people. And that's why Paul preached. So Paul arrived with the gospel, and you could see it working. Those that were ready heard the gospel, and they accepted. They were baptized and baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were ready to to be a disciple and to follow Jesus fully. He goes on that they were communication to those that were religious, and I'm sure that there were those that believed 
in that setting as well. But then as the truth came out, as the truth was being spoken, there were those that turned from that and got, well, as it describes, that were stubborn. But then it also, he went and he spoke to those that lived in the community. I think that's a great way for us to pattern our evangelism and our teaching. And we do that. We preach to those that are ready. We speak to those that are ready. If you walk in the doors of a church, you're at least concerned about spiritual things. Then we speak to those that are the religious, those that are open to that. But then we have to leave these walls to go out into our community and to, sh- to carry the gospel with us. So it's a conversation with somebody you're working out with in the gym or at Taekwondo. Or it's somebody that you're shopping with in a store. Or it's somebody that you're helping that's your neighbor who lives down the street. We need to carry the gospel with us because what happens when the gospel comes to town the world is changed. That's what we need to see. As Paul brings the gospel with him, as he comes in, there are two results. There are two big things again. Do you remember the two R's that I said earlier? There's revival, or there's a riot. As we look at this next section, we're going to see this idea of revival, and revival because of the gospel. If you look in verses 11 through 20, um, there's kind of a funny story, and that's, that's what I love about this first part. Um, but before we get to that, you know, according to the April 27, 2021 edition of the Baptist and Reflection, Long Hollow Baptist Church of Hendersonville, Tennessee, has witnessed an unprecedented number of baptisms since December 2020. You may have seen that somewhere on social media, um, you may have looked at some different things, figuring those, seeing that. But we've talked about Long Hall over the past few weeks. Um, Pastor Chris Swain, who recently passed away, that was the church that they were involved in. Their pastor, Robbie Gallaty, is the head of uh, Replicate Ministries and, and shares those ideas about discipling your people. And then uh, I've got another man coming from that same church, and that was entirely coincidental, or I'd say providential. That God, he's going to be the speaker at the Student Ministry Workers Retreat in Conway in September. Um, And I'm excited about having him. His name is Jeff Borton. But the unprecedented number that they've had as of April 11th, from that December, over a thousand people have been baptized. And when we hear a number like that, what is our immediate reaction? I don't know about that. Surely that can't be right. But as Robbie Gallaty, who began the church, or began at the church in 2015, estimates that 70 to 75% of those are first-time confessions of faith, and 80% are adults. God is working in a miraculous way there. He is doing something that is, in our minds, almost is almost unbelievable. And a lot of us would doubt, well, that's surely just some emotional things that are going on, but I'm convinced that it's not. And why? Because the gospel is transforming lives there in that community, in that church. They have a very specific discipleship pathway. What do they do? They meet in groups of three to five, maybe seven people. They have a leader. They have 
those that are part of that group, they work through what Pastor Kirk has talked about it, I've talked about it, soap journals. They call them hear journals, highlight, explain, apply, and respond. Okay, that's what here stands for. It's very similar to our SOAP, which is Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. But what's happened is, these years, since 2015, they have laid this foundation of being in the Word. The Gospel has permeated not only their church and their people, but their community. And people are turning to Christ in unprecedented numbers. Over a thousand baptisms, that was April, We're closing in on August. God is still working in miraculous ways. And as I read Pastor Robbie's tweet recently, he said that revival comes at a cost. Chris Wayne was more than just a guy on staff for him. He he said at the service this past Monday that I watched, that when he hired Chris Swain, he knew that he, he didn't know that he was hiring his best friend. But he understands the revival comes at a cost and sometimes steep. Now, is was Chris Swain's life taken because of this? No. But when we're willing to give everything to the gospel, to everything for the gospel, God is going to use every single bit of us. God wants us to embrace the gospel message. God wants us to see that even in here, in our text, and in our church, that revival becomes because of the gospel, the gospel transformation of hearts and of lives. Well, what do we see under this? As we look in verses 11 and 12, we see that God's power was present. Beginning in verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now I know what you're thinking. When I was in college at Central Baptist College, we would sit around and we would poke foam because fun at some different things that we would see on ads. You may remember somebody by the name of Benny Hinn. You could order a handkerchief from him, that he had wiped the sweat off of him, and you could, he had prayed and blessed it, and you could wipe that on you, and that would come off. That was, we never know what to think about those guys, but we do know what Scripture says here. God was showing his power. The gospel foundation had been laid. Paul had taught. He had shared. And then God was showing up in big ways. And in that, people's lives were starting to be changed. God's power was present. But God's imposters were also present. I love it. Your Bible may title this section as the sons of Sceva, but it says here, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. This wasn't the Jesus that they knew. It was the one that Paul proclaims. Verse 14, seven sons of the Jewish high priest uh, named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? To me that's just funny. 
Because this next verse, And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Do you see this? This is, this is hilarious, and it's powerful all at once. This man who was possessed by the devil looks at Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. I don't know who you are. Because they didn't know God. They saw this was no real authority. There was nothing there. And what happens? This man possessed by evil spirit overtook the seven sons of the Jewish high priest. And they ran out of there naked and wounded. That is just, well, it's funny to me. But what we find is that God's people are recognized even by those satanic power. These men were not. God's imposters were present. They were on the scene. And revival started to happen. It started to happen because of what happened there with these seven sons. We go on in verse 18 through 20. We see this passage of Scripture that we began the message with this morning. Also, many of those were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to... It came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. God's influence was present. Revival was going on. When God gets a hold of us, when the gospel starts to transform a people and a community, things are different. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So as I look at these things that have happened and look as as they go on, I I often wonder, where are those things in our lives as a church, as a people? Now, do I expect us to see something like the the middle story here with the sons of Sceva? No. Or do I, if we wipe Pastor Kirk's brow with a handkerchief and then take it and rub it on people, will that heal them? No. But God's power is present as we see lives changed, as we see relationships mended, as we see hearts restored if people come to Christ. Revival can be present, but it's present when the gospel has been shared and it is that foundation. Well, there, of course, was the revival. That's that first word. The other was the riot. You see, when the gospel comes into a community, there are a couple of things that are going to happen. Either you're going to have people who are opposed to God or who accept God. So if we're looking at verses 21 through 41, we see this story. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen The Music Man. Back in college, we did the musical, The Music Man, and it starts with the Harold Hill. He's going into a community. He wants to sell instruments. That's how he makes his money. He sells a bunch of instruments and then leaves town before he has to do anything about it. He makes promises. Well, we'll train your students. They'll be a part of a band. And he has a song that says, oh, we got trouble with a capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool. Because the community was worried about billiards and pool during that time because those were the evils of the day. 
But we have people here that were causing a riot, and they were shouting, oh, we got trouble right here in Ephesus. <laughs> and that's what we find beginning in verse 24. A contentious voice was confounded by what was happening. In verse 24, there the Bible says, For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who had made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. Now, what we need to understand is that Ephesus was this place of worship for Artemis. And the, if the worship of Artemis included making idols of silver for their god. And when the gospel came to town, and people started turning to the one true God, and they started seeing how that impacted and changed their lives, they started setting aside those idols. And when you're a silversmith, and you make idols for a living, that's going to impact you. And so Demetrius started going around essentially shouting, hey, we got trouble right here in Ephesus. And as he shouted those words, as he brought those things to the, to the other craftsmen, and he gath they gathered together, this contentious voice stirred up the people. Beginning in verse 25, he says, they, These he gathered together with the workmen in silver, similar trades. <coughs> and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth, and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus but in all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made of hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposited, uh, deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Usually that's what it takes. In a church where God is moving, where he is working in great ways, you'll have one voice that will gather others around and try to stand in the way of gospel transformation. You may have been a part of a church like that over the years past, where God is working and doing some great things, and then all of a sudden there's this loud voice saying, no, we can't do that because, one, we haven't done it that way before, or any list of other things. But they began to stand in opposition of the gospel and how God is working. Well, this man stood up, and he was a clear voice of the other side of the equation, worship of a, a false god. And he raised up voices to try to hinder the gospel. In verse uh, 28, it, it, or 27 rather, it says, uh, I'm sorry, 26, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. There were accusations against Paul directly. And as this goes on, confused crowd grows cantankerous. Verses 29-34. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristocrats, 
the Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in uh, among the crowd, the disciples would not let him, and even some of the Asia Croats were friends of his sent to him, were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, and for two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours. This riot continued for two hours as they shouted out, Great is Artemis, great is this, in their minds, great is this God. That's what it went on. These people were confused. And they were drawn together by those that were being hurt financially. And the crowd grew louder and louder. Why? Because the gospel was transforming that community. You know, if we go on in verses 35 through 40, we see that a confused crowd simply missed the gospel. They missed it. Verse 35, and when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper for the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we, are, <coughs> excuse me, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So there they were, this confused crowd, this, these people who had been riled up against uh, Paul and his followers. And really what we see is that for the most part, these people, they miss the gospel. And that's what happens. When you have a people who are standing opposed to the gospel, they miss it. They miss the mark. They miss Jesus. They don't see what Jesus had to offer them. That's what I fear. What I fear is that for those that would stand in opposition to the gospel, that it's just going to take away the gospel impact of our church and who we are. God calls us to stand, to share the gospel, and to stand in opposition of those that would oppose the gospel. Now, if we look on into chapter 20, we see that, that Paul cements uh, the gospel message with the Ephesian elders in shares of verse 21 that Jews and Greeks must turn, in, must turn uh, to God through Jesus. Uh, verse 21, there the Bible says, Testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. If we allow anything to stand in the way of us sharing the gospel, whether it is financial if we think that those people are too poor, or those people are too rich, or if those people are 
uneducated or they have too much education or if they are they are black or they are Asian or they are not the same color of any sort that we are <coughs> if we allow those things to stand in the way of us sharing the gospel then we have missed the mark because when the gospel comes to town lives are changed and it starts by the change in us when we see that the gospel is truly for all, that will change how we respond, how we act, how we come together as a body of believers. And so this morning, I want to ask you this important question. How are you going to respond to the gospel today? Now, what is the gospel message? It's, it's rather simple. We are sinners. We are sinners because Adam and Eve sin. We are sinners because we sin. You, there's nobody perfect here. There's nobody that can be, that say, I've never sinned in my life. The simple truth of the gospel is that even if you just sin once a day, 300 times a year, that's like 70,000 sins in your lifetime. I mean, you start doing the math, it just adds up really quick. So none of us are free from sin. God is perfect and God is holy and he won't let sin go unpunished. So what did he have to do? He sent his son to die for, for me and you. He was born of perfect, born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on a cross, rose from the grave, and now we can accept that great gift of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. And we fully accept that when we bend the knee to Jesus, when we say you are Lord, when we repent of our sin and turn to Jesus... That can change and transform you. It can change and transform you, our church, our community, and our world. So how are you going to respond to the gospel? The, does the gospel move you to revival? If you already know Jesus, does it excite you and get you saying, well, I need to do what God is calling me to do? Or does the gospel message move you to riot? There's nobody that can call me a sinner. I'm not a sinner. Well, guess what? The Bible says you are a sinner. And you can either hear that message and accept it in humility, that that is the truth of the Word of God, or you can respond in riot. How are you going to respond to the gospel message? This morning we've looked at this simple idea of how the world has changed when the gospel comes to town. How are you changed when the gospel comes to your town, to your family, to your home, to our church? That's the question for us today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and how you care for us. We thank you for your word. And I just ask that as we talked about these things this morning, that you will continue to work in our lives, that you will give us those things that we need. You will help us to be humble and ready to say, yes, Lord. Father, help us to be um, ready for the gospel, open to that ourselves. But then, Father, for those of us who have accepted that gospel message, help us to be ready to share it, to have those conversations, to talk to people about Jesus when those moments arrive. God, you are good, you're worthy of praise, and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. 
We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.